Welcome to Liberty Block. I am Elliot Axelman. I'm joined today by New Hampshire State Representative Leah Cushman. Leah, thank you so much for being with us and welcome to the Liberty Block. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So how is the New Hampshire House legislative session in the age of COVID going so far? It's going okay. Um, we're using restaurant rules similar to when you go out, when we go and sit in committee, we um, we don't have to wear a mask as long as we're sitting six feet away from whoever's next to us. Um, they've got like four um, filtration systems, HEPA filters in each room. Um, they're supposed to be cycling. So it's supposed to um, change the air in the room every or five times an hour. Interesting. So. Are you meeting in the house or somewhere else? Um, we haven't had a session in the house. Uh, we've had the one in the parking lot at UNH and then we had one on the field. But for committee meetings, we are meeting in the LOB. Okay, great. So um, for everyone else who's not inside the inside politics, the, the legislative office building is essentially the, the second building used by the, by the house committees and everything. So are public, is the public allowed in any of these um, committees or anything? Unfortunately, they, they can't come in person and actually even the bill sponsors can't come in person unless they're already in the legislative office building for other business. Um, but the leadership, house leadership has made an easy link on um, gencourt.nh.state. I probably have the wrong URL. So I always just type in, let me see. Yeah, gencourt.state.nh.us. If you scroll down, um, there is a little link to um, give house testimony. If you click that, it brings up a form. So you can either um, sign for your support or opposition of a bill, or you can sign up to testify. So then your name will be added to a list and the, the committee chairs will receive that list. And during the hearing, they'll call your name. So in all of the Zoom links to all the committees, so if you wanna watch them, they're also on YouTube if you just wanna watch, but if you wanna um, participate in the testimony, all the Zoom links are on the house calendar which are also on the GenCourt website. Yeah, the Zoom testimony, it's working out decently, I think. Um, I, I went to the last committee meeting. I actually screwed up my microphone. It wasn't totally the one being used by the um, computer because of all the connections I have. So they couldn't hear me. And after I had a minute of calling my name to testify on that bill, they kind of just you know skipped over me, which is fine. So that was my fault. Um, but I really wanted to testify. Because I remember last session, I guess towards the end of 2020, John Burt and a few others were pretty upset that the public was not allowed to see any of the legislative sessions, essentially making them unconstitutional, illegal, um, and anything passed during those sessions shouldn't have been law because the public was not allowed to see via Zoom or participate at all. So I'm glad they, they fixed some of that. Yeah, that's understandable. It's it seems to be going pretty well. Um, I had a committee hearing yesterday. It was our first one, and some of the committee members zoomed in. But um, let's see how many were there. I think there were six of us or seven of us in person. Um, the there were some technical issues, um, and they just had IT come and and fix a couple things. The other thing is that. Um, some people at home were telling me they couldn't hear all of the committee members. 
So it would be better if we all had our own microphone because there are only about five in the committee room. So. Yeah. So my big question is the Republican leadership now controls the, the House, the Senate, uh, the governorship, everything. Republican leadership, I, I know, I think they're pretty good um, in, in the House. Why are they still, I guess, endorsing the uh, corona paranoia, corona fascism, and not letting you guys back into the House and not letting things go back to normal like they were you know, pre-COVID? That's a good question. I'm kind of disappointed myself with, I, I think they should have put their foot down and said, you know, we're meeting in person. Everyone who campaigned for office knew that we were in a pandemic. So they knew that there would be risk involved. You know, our constitutional Congress during the revolution, they met in the middle of a major smallpox epidemic. So I think that um, because we have technology now that makes it possible to do the business without, you know, putting some of the members who may be at, at risk of a complicated case of COVID. Um, that's why they're using it. I think they're also using it because they don't want to be skewered by the media and the Democrats, which is kind of bowing to that. So I, is there an end in sight? Because the, obviously the, the Fauci and the whole gang has shifted the goalposts many times, right? From 15 days to slow the spread, which I guess the 15 days aren't up yet. Um, it's only been like 12, 13 months. So I guess that doesn't equal uh, 15 days or 14 days, but they've been shifting the goalposts from until we get, you know, a bit of immunity until we get 15 days, till we get the mass compliance or the vaccine. Now we have the vaccine already. I think millions have been vaccinated, um, not to mention the millions who have had it. They claim hundreds of millions have had it, meaning they have immunity to it too. Um, but they keep shifting the goalposts. So now the latest I hear it's two masks or maybe even three masks plus the vaccine. <laughs> um, so when will... I guess the establishment and also the Republicans who I guess are going along with the establishment, when will they allow for us to get back to normal or maybe never, because it's convenient. Like you said, like on the budget committee, we're meeting via zoom. Most of us it's convenient. I'd rather sit here and do a budget committee than sit there for three hours with, you know, have to be there and I can't even get anything done on my laptop in the committee. I'd much rather be here. So it's convenient. So next year, will I stay on zoom? I hope the budget committee lets me, but I hope the house doesn't let you, you know what I mean? So yeah. When will we get back to normal and, and not let this, you know, be an excuse for us to be lazier and more convenient, and this will be the new normal? That's a good question. I don't know. Your guess is good as, as, as good as mine. And, you know, seeing the, the narrative just change so much, you know, now with the three masking thing as a nurse, it's like blowing my mind just because, you know, it goes against the masking thing in, in, in the first place really goes against everything I was taught about PPE in, in school. And it, like, if you look on the OSHA website, you can see proper PPE and what it's used for and, and its effectiveness. And I don't understand why after, why from the beginning they weren't advocating for people at risk to wear um, N95 respirator masks because those offer, you know, at least 90% protection for the wearer when they're donned and doffed correctly and they're fitted correctly. So, but instead it seems that, and I know I'm kind of getting off topic, off topic. It's just something that I've like wanted to unload. It seems that they're really trying to 
push um, viewpoint on people and it's working. And if you're not familiar with, with that, it's a, um, it's a, it's a subdivision of the study of ethics where um, you, you're expected to sacrifice some of your rights for the greater good. So they're kind of trying to, um, I think, bring down or, um, you know, kind of quiet the spirit of America where it was kind of about your rights trump anything else. And that's the most important thing where now we have this narrative of it's okay for you um, to sacrifice your rights because you're doing it for the greater good. And yes, I think a lot of it is individualism versus collectivism. And when I was growing up, my dad spoke a lot about, about individualism versus collectivism. He preferred a car to a big bus because one was individual, one was collective. And when I was a baby, I didn't understand it. Why do you hate buses? Why do you hate trains? Uh, you know, he said, that's more communist. A car is more capitalist. I didn't get it until I, I started thinking about a car gives you individual liberty. If you have to take the bus and the train, like in communist republics like North Korea and New York City, it's, it's more collective and you have less autonomy. But as far as what you said about the mask, you made a great point. And I have two big thoughts. Um, one is obviously also as a medic, if you're going to do it, do it right. Uh, wearing a mask, um, and they, they did studies with people and I think doctors as well. When you wear a mask, um, unless you're trained phenomenally well, like an anesthesiologist maybe, or someone who wears masks very often, or unless you work for uh, a PPE, uh, um, like Ebola team or something like that, you're going to touch your face a lot more. Even me, who's worn a mask a lot, I've been trained in proper donning and doffing, N95 and all that. Um, and I was on an Ebola hospital team. Um, I touch my face more when I wear the surgical mask or N95 mask. Everyone does. So we also don't don and doff correctly. We, we reuse it. Everyone puts it in their pocket from doctors to nurses to medics. You put it in your pocket, you take it back out, meaning it's contaminated times who knows what. Um, people throw their mask in their car, it falls on the floor, you put it back on your face. So it is super contaminated. Cross-contaminated, so, you're self-contaminating. Yeah, it's... Yep, if you're going to do it, do it right. Um, the second point that I, I'd love to get your thoughts on is, do you feel like, like a lot of people have mentioned with COVID, the people who should have been... I don't like the word even quarantine, but the people who should have been maybe protected more are those who are very vulnerable and or sick. Really those who were positive spreaders, uh, maybe those super vulnerable, very, very old, immunocompromised, maybe HIV, cancer, um, or other issues, those who are vulnerable. But when you punish everyone and restrict everyone and quarantine everyone, 100% of people, even if they've have it, had it, even if they're young and healthy like you and me, who are 20, 30 years old and in a phenomenal shape, and if we get it, it'll be like the flu or probably less than the flu. Um, is it fair to restrict us? And what I compare it to is, is the current uh, criminal justice system in the U.S. currently assumes that everyone is guilty until proven innocent. I know that you and I learned in school back when we were stupid that you're innocent until proven guilty, but that was wrong. In the U.S., in the United Socialist Republic of America, you are guilty until proven innocent. I've written many articles proving it. You are assumed guilty. So do you think that you kind of see the comparison of you're kind of sick until proven healthy and it's hard to prove that you're healthy. Definitely. Yeah. No, everyone is treated as a, treated as if they're walking around spreading a virus that they don't have. And what's amazing is that now so many people have immunity from either having it or from the vaccine. And yet still, even those people can't do things. For instance, NFL stadiums because of the mob are afraid to let in more than like 10% or 15% of the capacity. Why not let it be filled to capacity with those that, are vaccinated 100% immune and, uh, you know, don't mind the risk because they sign the waivers. 
it, it doesn't make sense to me. And it's sad the Super Bowl is going to have like a few thousand people. It's very sad that they can't fill up the stadium. Yeah. No, All right. So moving on to actual legislation, how many bills or, or what are the big important bills that you have sponsored or that you're supporting this session? Um, look at the list. I, so I have my own, my one and only bill that I am the prime sponsor on um, is HB 6611, which is an act abolishing uh, fluoridation in water. Um, and it's actually having its hearing today at 3 p.m. Uh, before the Resources, Recreation and Development Committee. And um, basically, this is a liberty issue and a health issue. So this bill, you know, there are some benefits to using fluoride topically. That's That's been demonstrated. But the um, benefits to fluoridating water and consuming fluoridated water um, is very minimal. Um, they, in 2008, there was actually a program in New Hampshire um, where they started installing fluoridation systems into uh, schools um, and started fluoridating water in schools. And uh, after four years, tooth decay was still on the rise. And it wasn't until after they implemented the, um, the school clinics, dental clinics, where they did cleanings and sealants that they started to see the tooth decay decrease. Um, so there is, you know, there, there are other ways to use fluoride. Most people get fluoride on their teeth when they go to the dentist every six months, or they use fluoridated toothpaste or uh, mouth rinses. You can also buy um, fluoride tablets if you want to add them to your water. They dissolve in the water or you can just take them. Um, you know, you could buy them, they're pretty cheap um, and pay for them. But this is a liberty issue because we're, we're having fluoride added. There are 12 communities in New Hampshire where fluoride is, was added to the water, um, the, where the, sorry, the public water system adds fluoride to the water. And at one point a bill was passed where the towns have to have a, a vote on it. This was before 2000, late nineties sometime. And, um, in Manchester, it, the Manchester Waterworks was the last, um, the last place to do this. So they had a vote in all the towns that that, that water system supplies. And fluoridation won by only 1%. It was 51% to 49%. So it was something like 15,000 people, um, you know, spoke for 150,000 people. So it was, it was a really small voter turnout. So it's basically saying, why, why should 51% of a town or city be able to vote to add medication to the other 49% water? You know, filtration systems to remove fluoride are expensive. Um, you know, these people are paying taxes. Why should they have to pay for extra things to have pure water that's unadulterated, you know, in their eyes? And, you know, most people are unaware that their, their water is fluoridated even though you know, they have this vote, the last time a community voted on it was in 2000, um, and that was Manchester Waterworks. But since then, actually in 2018, they, there was a non-germane amendment that was added to the, the fluoride law that allows um, communities that, are, that receive water from um, towns that fluoridate to not have a vote, and instead they just have to notify before they introduced the fluoride. So they did this in Salem. And, uh, you know, it's, 
it, there's no consent there. And fluoride does carry risk when it's ingested. Um, or, this has been going on since the 1940s. And over the years, more and more information is coming out that there are some um, serious risks associated with fluoride. You know, first there was a study, um, CDC published that it was like 40% of adolescents had dental fluorosis, which is uh, improper mineralization of the enamel of the teeth. And it's really an outward sign of systemic fluoride toxicity. And that improper mineralization creates staining. Um, so it, it creates staining and it, um, you know, it increases the likelihood of tooth decay. So there is that issue. And then the last time that they studied it in 2019, it came out that 60% of adolescents now have dental fluorosis. So we know that it's, it's, you know, people are taking it in, they may not know. I, I know from personal experience, I had no idea that my water in Massachusetts in Reading, where I grew up, was fluoridated until I was about 24. My son, um, he had bad cavities, um, you know, several of them. And when his grown up, his adult teeth came in, they had staining on them. And I asked his dentist and she said, oh, it's from drinking fluoride, fluoridated water when he was a baby. And I, I had reconstituted his baby formula with fluoridated water, not knowing it. And there's actually a warning. Um, and there's a law in New Hampshire that towns that have fluoridated water need to um, have posted a warning to parents not to reconstitute uh, baby formula with with fluoridated tap water because uh, that's that's the their prime time for toxicity, and so people don't know that it's in the water. They don't really know the risks. Um, there's only a one-time notification. Uh, if you look around on your town's website, you can probably find where they do the water analysis and see that they do add fluoride. But you know, most people don't have the time. Don't look. Even when it comes to the vote, most people don't know what's happening because let's face it, you know, most people, town elections have very low turnout. So it's, it's something that just kind of flies under the radar. People aren't aware. And, and this is a, a medical freedom issue. You should be informed and you should have consent on, on receiving any kind of medication. And if you're paying taxes in a town for water, and for water treatment, but you don't want fluoride, then you have to go and pay for filtration. And it just seems to me that this practice is not, not New Hampshire and it needs to end. So, so currently, do you know how many towns or how many water precincts in New Hampshire there are and, and what percentage of them have fluoridated water? I don't know the total number of precincts, but I know that 12, 12, um, water works companies or facilities do add fluoride to the water. And then there are, I have the list, um, there are even more towns that receive that water. But the majority yeah. of New Hampshire probably doesn't have fluoride right. in the water yet. The majority of New Hampshire um, doesn't. A lot of uh, towns in New Hampshire don't have municipal water. So they have, um, most people have well water. And we do have some naturally occurring fluoride. Um, as far as I know, there's never been, um, you know, levels of naturally occurring fluoride that's too high. 
I do know that the, the naturally occurring fluoride and the sodium fluoride that's added to municipal water that is measured. Um, so they, they make sure that together they don't go too high. But the problem is that most people are using fluoridated toothpaste, getting fluoride um, treatments at the dentist. So the cumulative effect they don't realize is a lot higher. They don't realize they're, they're really taking in a lot more fluoride than they, than they know. And just to confirm, you said there are some, some local effects and some systemic effects throughout your body. Um, yeah, it's all systemic really. Um, when you're ingesting it, uh, your body takes it in and it's incorporated into your bone matrix like calcium is. And it's been linked to osteoporosis because this is the same, the same thing as the fluorosis that you see in the teeth when it's in the bones, it's, it, the minerals are laid down improperly. Fluoride is not um, as strong um, as calcium when it's incorporated into bone matrix. And then there are neurological effects also that have more and more studies over the years have come out and shown there's like a 286% increase of um, ADD, ADHD type symptoms in children. Um, there are multiple studies that have shown that there, it can cause decreased IQ. Um, so um, hypothyroidism in women um, is, another, is another health condition that's been linked to um, high levels of fluoride. And they measure the level of fluoride um, that's linked to these by, by finding how much is in urine, how much is excreted in urine. And they find that um, there's a lot more excreted in urine than there is in people who drink unfluoridated water. And that the IQ um, decrease is positively correlated with the level of fluoride excreted in urine. Well, that's a little scary. Yeah. I can't afford to lose any more IQ points. So if you want to take that risk and you think that ingesting fluoride is good, then you can. And no. what are the benefits? What, what do the supporters say? Um, so they say that this is the cheapest and the greatest public health um, achievement of the 20th century or one of them. Um, they claim that, you know, children will have extensive decay and will see Medicaid um, funds, you know, needing to be increased to pay for all this decay. And it's really baseless. Um they, they can't tell you how much they, it's a, it's a baseless claim. Going back to, you know, the schools in New Hampshire, we've seen that the, the, the effect, the benefit of fluoridating water on children is minimal. You know, they didn't see a real, they didn't see any decrease in tooth decay in children until they added other non-fluoridated um, interventions, non-fluoride interventions, cleaning, regular dental exams, sealants, and um, routine screenings. The only positive uh, benefit of supporters of fluoride say that it just helps teeth not get as many cavities or not decay? Um, do, only, do only people who advocate for water fluoridation? No, no is that the, essentially the, the one benefit? Is, is that it helps yeah. your teeth not decay? Yes. But too much of it can also decay your teeth? Yes. And the, the therapeutic window between the, the lower um, limit where it's therapeutic and the, the upper limit where it becomes toxic is very narrow. They actually, the CD, the EPA um, 
lowered, they cut it in half, the, the upper limit, they reduced it by half, wow. 1.2, 1, 1 almost half, 1.2 to 0.7 parts per million. Is it's a shame true. they don't teach about the, the therapeutic index, the window anymore. They used to teach about it, but I guess Fauci, you know, the more is better, more masks, more everything. Did you yeah. see that video, you know, reason.com uh, made a video. They have a lot of funny videos. Um, a few years ago, essentially, a bunch of guys arguing in the Senate is a music video. And they're saying more is better. If one seatbelt is good, let's mandate two seatbelts. We'll save more lives, and they will. If one um, helmet is good, let's mandate two helmets when you ride a bicycle or even while in a car. Um, and the person in the Senate was arguing in favor of this bill, saying, if you don't support this bill, you just want people to die. Because um, again, safety is good. More is better. Let's ban everything. Let's ban all sugar. Let's make two helmets, five masks, 16 seatbelts. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was a joke, but again, even the things we joke about as hyperbole I actually come true. I can't believe the mask thing is happening. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. So about the, the water precinct, it's something that's weird for me. And I don't even know how to reconcile it. Because as you know, I'm not a big fan of democracy. That's what got me in trouble with my election. Um, because like you said, 15% of people could be 51% of the voters on the day of the vote, and they can decide the fate for everyone in the community. And no matter how you slice it, it's mob rule. It's even worse. It's like minority. It's like a tyranny of the minority because whoever shows up on voting day, because they don't have to work or do other stuff, or because they actually like one of the two choices or one of the two candidates gets to decide the fate for everyone. So democracy is, it's actually probably the worst form of government besides for maybe an evil dictatorship. But democracy might actually be the worst form of government. And I've written extensively on this. But with water precincts, it's really weird, right? Because they're semi-governmental, so they're not accountable to any private forces. They're not really government. You can't really vote them out. I guess you can vote for your town council, who maybe has a bit of say over your water precinct, or maybe you vote for your water precinct commission, maybe. But they're so far and unaccountable, and they, they can raise their water rates to a million dollars a month. And there's nothing you can do because unless you have a private well or, or something, you're in the system. So you have to use their system. It's kind of like one of those pure monopoly things like your local, you know, police or fire department, but water, you know, the water precinct could be even more tyrannical. And they'll do things like rent out fire hydrants for a trillion dollars a year to the local fire department who has to pay for it with taxpayer funds and then keep raising rates because they own the fire hydrants. So water precincts could do a ton and they're not really governmental. So when you talk about these decisions, it's scary because they're one of the few things you can't do anything about. It seems like people have essentially no control over their, their water precinct. That's interesting. Um, I didn't know. I didn't really know the, um, you know, how that whole system works. Yeah, I'm still not entirely sure, I don't think. I, I mean, there's, there's one or two or three commissioners or a board, and they're semi-government in the town, but they're really unaccountable. They actually sent a letter, like, from their attorney, I think, to the budget committee saying, you can't even consider touching our budget or adjusting it or even recommending adjusting it because we're independent. Screw you. You have no purview over us. We do whatever we want. Um, according to state law, we are God. Uh, so there's no accountability from the budget committee or town council or state. Um, so it's, it's really weird. It's one of those things where they, they seem to own everything, you know, the water, the electricity, and like even Eversource here in New Hampshire, they essentially have 100% monopoly. It's kind of scary when there's a Monopoly, especially when the government kind of helps them secure that monopoly and doesn't allow competition. That's what's scary to me. Yeah, that's that's definitely a concern. That just adds to my concern <laughs> about this. And you know, like there's no way for 
for the dose of fluoride to be controlled, you know, per person, uh -huh. really, you know, they, they, they either um, take it and they reconstitute it there as a powder and they, they add it to water and they have it in tanks. And then there's a machine that, you know, um, puts it in the, the main water system or, um, or they have a company come with a truck that has water that's already fluoridated and they add it to tanks that way. Um, so, but I guess uh, I was speaking to Greg Fedor who uh, used to work for Manchester Waterworks and he was saying that a lot of the times the fluoride that they would get, they would test it um, and find that it was contaminated with heavy metals. So it's just, yeah, it's kind of this um, totally risky, you know, addition. And then, so you can't control the dose. Once it goes into the system, it's going into the, the, the faucet and you, you take it, you drink it and your dose is regulated based on how much water you drink and your, your metabolism and, you know, your body weight. So it's. Yeah. It's definitely the worst way to deliver a medication. Yeah. You just throw all the water at them and see what, what they ingest. Um, that's not really a calculated dose. So do you know if, we could probably Google this, but do you know if the Brita filters or pure filters, if you hook them right onto your uh, faucet, it doesn't fluoride. No, and it's actually really it's kind of, it's difficult to filter out fluoride. Um, I someone who you know works with um, with chemicals uh, and he was telling me, oh, it's easy, and I was like, listen, <laughs> like I researched this years ago because I found out that we had fluoridated water and my son had fluorosis, and I, I checked all the independent reviews of different filters that um, claim to take fluoride out. And even Berkey, which was the one I ended up going with, um, has only been found to be 50 to 70% effective. So it only removes 50 to 70% of the fluoride. Um, there's another company, Aquasana, who, who have really um, good results. Um, reverse osmosis will do it, but then you have to add back in your minerals. Um, Aquasana's um, filters are only whole house filters, so they're cost prohibitive for a lot of people because they're twelve to twenty five hundred dollars. It's not easy. And what about bottled water? A lot of bottled waters contain fluoride too. You can find um, some independent um, reviewers online who have looked at um, fluoride levels of different bottled water companies. So it really takes a lot of research to find an alternative to fluoridated tap water if you have it. And is there an easy or efficient or um, cost-effective way for someone to measure fluoride levels at home? Not that I know of. So it has to be done by chemists or labs or something. Yeah, you'd have to just take a sample like you would if um, you were testing your well water and have, have a water company, company come and take the sample and test it. And if enough people are concerned, I guess there's a market, if it's possible to be done chemically, there's a market for some kind of, um, litmus types, types of test with a strip where you could dip it into water. Um, I don't know if it's possible. I'm not a chemist, um, but maybe some, you know, free market enterprise will come out there and, and, uh, make such a strip so people can test at home. Excellent. Anything else you got to say about fluoride before we move on to all the other bills? Um, I'll just mention if anyone um, is listening to this, um, the committee hearing is at three today. You can find the link um, to testify on the GenCorp website. It's at the bottom of the main page. 
it's gencourt.state.nh.us. And um, you can sign up to testify. It's gonna be before the Resources, Recreation and Development Committee, 3 p.m. today, Wednesday, January 27th. And the bill is HB611. And then the Zoom link are on the house calendar, which is also on that, that page. And which committee do you sit on? I am on the Health, uh, Health, Human Services and Elderly Affairs Committee. That's great. It's a good committee. Are there any important bills, either good or bad, that are coming up? Yeah, there are, um, there are quite a few. <laughs> um, there is one, the Medical Freedom Bill, which I'm watching and I'm going to support wholeheartedly. That's HB 220. Um, basically just says that you can't discriminate against people um, based on their vaccination status. I'll be supporting that one. There's another one that takes away some of the um, emergency powers of the Commissioner of Health and Human Services and puts some more oversight because right now she's got, or he or she, whoever is in the position has a lot of, um, a lot of power. They can actually issue emergency orders um, during a state of emergency. What was that bill number? I will have to find it. That sounds good. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, let me see if I can find it for you. And when are we going to take back the emergency powers or end the state of emergency that's been going on for a year? Because if it's going on for a year, by definition, it's not an emergency. Yeah, it's not an emergency anymore. Um, we would be the first state in the country to do that if we were to do it. Um, even Florida, where, you know, they're, they're, by all, you know, from what you can tell, they're not in a state of emergency. They, they still just have it there. It's a nominal state of emergency. Um, but our, our state of emergency, our emergency powers law is, gives the most power to a, the executive branch of any law in the country. Well, it would make sense for us to be the first state to kind of pull that back and restore the balance of power. But so as far as progress on that, there is an Ella, uh, a bill that's going to a committee um, and that's sponsored by Melissa Blasick. And then there are, there are numerous other bills that are just trying to reel in um, for next time. So we're coming at it a few different ways. So um, there's been some discussion among leadership to make some of the governor's good executive orders um, law, fast track them or add them as amendments to current bills. And that way the state of emergency won't be too big to fail. Um, so some examples of those le that legislation would be um, emergency orders that allowed out of state uh, licensed health practitioners to come and work in New Hampshire. Um, the, some of the telemedicine uh, executive order. Uh, there are a few others, the, the takeout for alcoholic beverages. So I think there's about 15 that um, leadership is trying to take off of the emergency orders, make it law, and then we can start pedaling back. Um, and, and hopefully by then people will be comfortable and we can get rid of the whole thing. Uh, the, the issue is we don't have, we tried twice. Um, actually we tried once we discussed trying twice, but we just didn't have the votes to have a concurrent re resolution to get rid of it. And we'll never get the Senate <laughs> to, to go against the governor. So 
restoring the power, balance of power through the concurrent resolution is, it's something to hope for, but it's, it's unlikely to be realistic, you know, at this point. Um, and there's been outreach to find out what is stopping different members of the house um, from supporting the end of, ending the state of emergency. And it's mostly, they're worried that um, we will lose money, we'll lose funding. Uh -huh. it. So there are some people researching into that. If that's 100% true, we have a feeling that it's not um, because there is a national state of emergency and the, the CARES funding. Um, and there was another bill that was just passed, one of the federal bills. They just go to the states. They, they just go and you get the funding based on population and some other parameters. But it, it doesn't, there's nothing in those bills that requires the state to be in a state of emergency. So there's still, those federal bills are enormous. So it's a lot to comb through, but there are some members of the house who are doing that. Um, and then, so the other leg of that, since we, you know, that, that, that bill to end the state of emergency by Melissa Vlasic will go to committee, um, but there's some concern it won't even pass out of committee. And then if it does pass out of committee, will it pass the house? And then if it passes the house, it still needs to pass the Senate and it won't. So we're going to well, a few things, my approach, because I've become pretty um, frustrated with the governor playing the role of dictator, which technically means that he makes all the decisions and the legislature is essentially impotent. No offense to you. Um, the legislature being that in the last year, every single one of the who knows how many hundreds or thousands of laws in New Hampshire that are all tyrannical in nature have come by the governor just signing a paper, an executive order and not by legislation, there's essentially no point of having a legislature. So I've written a few articles, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, making the case for abolishing the legislature, because right now it's kind of just for show. It's um, kind of like a figurehead, like the Queen of England, um, or some, some uh, royal crown that doesn't do much, because we all know Sununu's doing everything. Les legislature has done nothing in the last year. They don't even have the spine to stand up and stop the state of emergency, which they can do. They don't pass any bills, so they're impotent, so let's get rid of them. We could all save some money, save some time with elections, um, and save a whole lot of time and resources and energy and not worrying about voting and tracking 400 members of the House. You know how difficult it is for me to try to write about 400 members of the House and millions of pieces of legislation, um, but it doesn't mean much. The governor does everything, so let's abolish the legislature, have one governor, and we'll all spend our time and energy um, pressuring him to do the right thing, because right now that's what we have anyway. So that, that's what I've written about. Um, my other big point is, and I've written about this too, and I've done, done a lot of podcasts on this, the federal money, in order to get federal money, the more state of emergency you're in, the more you look like your state is very sick, the more money you're going to get, and the more sympathy in general from, from Trump, from the CARES Act and all that stimulus. So Sununu probably thinks he's being a good statesman by making it seem like everyone in New Hampshire is dying in the streets, like bodies are piling up out there in front of our houses. And everyone's dying and we're all sick and we need help and we're in a state of emergency, meaning we must be very sick, even though New Hampshire had like 16 cases of COVID ever. Um, and the average person who dies is like 82. So Sununu made it look bad. But there's federal incentive from D.C. because a lot of money coming in, like billions, there's an incentive to stay in a state of emergency. Once we cut ties with D.C. and declare independence at least to some extent, we won't have that incentive anymore. We won't have perverse incentives and we can get back to being genuine and, and honest, right? Yeah, I hear you. I don't know if that's 
something that I support at this point. I mean, it's kind of getting there though. Um, you know, with this new administration, yeah, I definitely have concerns and sometimes think that um, the United States needs a divorce for sure from, you know, this left, left-leaning, um, you know, federal government that we're now at the mercy of. And he, you know, Biden brought down some swift um, orders right out the gate that, you know, that are pretty threatening. So um, I, I would like to get some work done in the legislature. So I don't want to see it abolished necessarily um, to your first point. Um, but yeah, I understand, like, I feel, I feel like we don't have power if, if we want to do anything that goes against what the governor's plan is for, for dealing with COVID. So I get it. I get the frustration. I'm still going to push forward and try to do some good things while I'm in office, <clears throat> but I get, I get the frustration. Yeah. Well, you are doing great work. So my frustration is not directed at you, but the legislature in general, um, I'd like to see, I know you have a spine. I'd like to see a little bit more spine. Um, especially from leadership and, and stop the state of emergency. Yeah. So the other, so if we can't, if we, if we're working with what we have, so, and being realistic, we can't end the state of emergency, you know, outright right now. Um, we can take off some of those. Um, the governor is going to want to come out of this looking good, you know, so we, he's going to try to do this in partnership with us, I believe, and, and say, oh, like we've, you know, we're in a, now that we've gotten over that, that first hump of the winter, uh, the curve with the case, case numbers were at their highest, it's going to start to come down and they've changed the PCR guidelines for labs and um, for diagnosis. So there will be less cases. So hopefully very soon the narrative will start to turn. Biden's in office, he wants to look really good. And so the narrative will start to turn and then maybe we can finally see our way out of this. And then the important thing is to make sure that this can't happen again. <laughs> so there's, there is a slate of legislation that's going in to make sure that all of this power will never go to another governor and that we will maintain real checks and balances on, on the emergency powers. And are those bills going to pass? Does leadership support that? Uh, yeah, I believe so. As long, and the governor said he won't veto any of it as long as it doesn't touch the state of emergency. Because I'm losing faith. I already had no faith in politicians, but I'm losing more and more faith in politicians by the second. It is plummeting. Yeah. Um, everyone. And, and I was just talking to some other um, legislators and activists the other day. The second you get into office, immediately your integrity is plummeting. Your principal honesty is plummeting. My faith in anyone in office, um, again, in New Hampshire, it's a little different because you aren't professional politicians. Um, but even in New Hampshire, I see it, even on small offices, even that jerk Axelman who's on the budget committee, even he's, he's not immune to this. The second you have any position, you're no longer you know 100% principled and, and sincere and everything because you have to think politically. Um, and obviously, I know this from a few different, different to, positions. You have to play the game, unfortunately, if you want to get anything done. Because if you are tr like 100% true to your principles and you you stand up for everything, you end up shooting yourself in the foot mm -hmm. because they will 
they being everybody else who doesn't agree with everything that you feel, they will, they will get in your way every step. So it's like, you have to kind of, you have to find ways to compromise if you want to get even anything done. It's the nature of the beast, unfortunately. Yeah. I hope, I hope you don't stay in it too long. Um, I mean, I think the good ones in New Hampshire, like John Burton, a few others can stay there for a while and still maintain some pretty good integrity and principles, I think. Um, so another reason we're lucky to be in New Hampshire and other states, the second you're in the legislature, you're done. You have the principles of a congressman. Um, Is that because they get paid more? They get paid a lot more. They, they get paid a lot more. They, they meet more. They do more. There are less of them. They're very exclusive club, 20, 30, 40 of them, not 400. Um, so they're just considered gods in every other state. We're the only state like this. Um, where, where legislators are not considered gods because they make less than the average person in, in New York, they make like triple the average person. So, and that's how most states are. I think they, they vote to give themselves more raises because taxpayers fund it. Wow. But yeah, our, our wages are in our constitution. So yeah, and actually there's a bill this year to change that. And it's like to reduce the pay, but it's to put it in an, into an RSA. And that's, those are Democrats bringing that bill forward. And you know that it's like a bait and switch that once they put it into the law instead of, and take it out of the constitution that then when they have control, they're going to raise their pay. Of course, cost of living increase and all that. And we're going to see massive cost of living increases over the next few months or years because of inflation. And this year, inflation is going to be unbelievable because we printed five, $10 trillion, right? So the inflation is going to kill us and, and we're all going to get minimum wage increases for cost of living and wage increases because they're in the past national minimum wage. Then our tax brackets will go up and so on and so forth. And the economy is going to crumble. Yeah, I, I, I know. So <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not looking good. I really, I don't know what to say about it. Just prepare and try to have a way to, you know, be self-sustaining and, have some resilience and make some investments in tangible, uh -huh. you know, funds and our assets. Uh -huh. I agree. Great. Anything else we have to discuss with voters? We'll be back. Um, we'll have you back on at some point very soon. I'm sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I have anything else today. I'm sure there will be a lot more to talk about. Yeah. You're welcome back on Liberty block. Anytime. Of course we have a few different podcasts, Liberty block, EJS, a bunch of other shows. My brother is the biggest pessimist, even bigger than me. So he's going to start a show called The Pessimist Perspective. Um, so I'm sure you're welcome on that show too. Um, yeah, there are a few other bills I'll tell you offline that I want you to support. Um, I don't think they're an HHS committee, but um, some pretty good bills by by good Liberty Republicans. That I'd love for you to help shepherd through the house maybe. Um, so I'll speak to you later about that. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on Liberty Block. It's been a pleasure. You are awesome. You're a rock star. And come back on soon. Great. Thanks, Elliot. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.